0: Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. Well, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Paul. Hi. Welcome. Hello. Good responsive people today. That's great. Uh, just a, a bit of a, a quick management uh, announcement here is that um, please, if you're very, very tempted, do not, do not take any toilet rolls out of our toilet, please, OK? We really would ask that you respect to leave them there. Now, I really don't get it about the toilet roll stuff, yeah, but people are people and uh, I guess do weird things, yeah. I've noticed uh, recently, not that I watch much TV at all, but there's more makeover shows on TV, have you noticed that? Yeah, and the other day we tuned into, uh, what was it? what's it called, uh, Pooch Perfect, have you seen that? Pooch Perfect, yeah, we're, we're into dogs, we, we like pooches. But there seems to be a whole plethora of makeover shows. So not not just dogs making over dogs, but there's also whole houses, there's rooms, there's gardens, and of course there's people. But one thing that seems to be common about all of them is the big reveal. You know what I mean? And you see photos of the before and photos um, sometimes after, or you see the person. And particularly when it's about people, you know, you see the before... And you see the after as the person comes through this Grand Archway. <laughs> Look at me. And, and people go, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. What a change. What a transformation. Yeah. yeah. And people are so amazed and so touched and so moved that they cry. And, uh, yeah, what an amazing transformation. Well, let me tell you, these shows have nothing and what we're about to see here in, in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, where Jesus does his big reveal. Well, I guess one of them anyway. His first big reveal. Except on this occasion, it's just with three people. There's no big audience there. There's no TV cameras. There's no people taking photos on their phone. There's no posting on Facebook or Instagram or anything else. This is three people. Let's look at what happens. This is Mark chapter 9. when we pick it up from verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up to a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? To which Jesus replied, To be sure. Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. Lord, we come at your knee now this morning. Lord, we ask that you will open our hearts, open our minds afresh. Lord, that you'll dispel any preconceived ideas we may have. Lord, that you'll melt away the busyness of our week, the distracting thoughts. And Lord, we invite your spirit to come and minister to us. Father, we do ask that you will hide the speaker, but bring the words from you alive to us today. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for your power in our lives. And Lord, touch us now as we look at this, as we journey together in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Yes. Now, I love the way that Mark lays out the flow of events in this gospel. Now, what was the big idea from last week? Can you remember? Uh, Not Matt, because he he presented it. What was the big idea last week? Basically, that salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. Do you remember that? Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. And from Mark chapter 8, verse 34, as we back up the truck for a moment, let's refresh our memories as we get, also get the context. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the sake of the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? I reckon this is probably one of the most challenging statements that Jesus ever gave or made. And after driving this truth deeply into our souls, our passage, passage very much today showcases who Jesus is and that the kingdom of of God is a kingdom of transformation. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of transformation. And if you want to go home and I trust you will do a little bit of follow-up uh, on this, you can find the the same um, event depicted and recorded in Matthew chapter seventeen and Luke chapter nine. So the kingdom of God is a kingdom of transformation, and as we've been hearing, as we've been journeying through Mark. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Here in chapter 9, we have more of the answer. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? He is God. He is God. And this is the midpoint of this Gospel of Mark. The midpoint. Everything leads up to this, point, this moment and everything flows down from it. I think Matt said last week it's a hinge and he used a a couple of other uh, words but here is a very big focal point so come on a journey with me as we go through what we see here in Mark chapter 9 and as we do ask the questions what can we learn about Jesus, what can we learn about the kingdom, what can we learn about ourselves and what can we learn about God's call on our lives so I'm going to Um, put this in a bit of a different way to perhaps you might be used to. But my first point here is, don't keep relying on a previous mountaintop experience, but keep growing. Mm. Let's look at verse two. After six days, as we've already mentioned, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up to a high mountain where they were all alone. They went to a high mountain where they were all alone. Now the text doesn't say which mountain this was. But we think it was Mount Hermon, okay? Mount Hermon, which has an elevation of over 9,000 feet. What's that in metres? About just over 2,500 metres high. So it's a very, very high mountain. And you can imagine the glory of God just being there at the top of this mountain. Wouldn't you like to have been there? Yeah, Yeah, I would. Well, there's two, two of us who would like to have been there anyway. But, you know, while studying this passage it really impacted me how much mountains and going to the top of a mountain was very much important and significant in the history of Israel. As we can reflect back uh, to some moments during um, Israel's history and in the Old Testament, it was on a mountain that Abraham proved his faith in God as he prepared his son Isaac as a sacrifice, which of course never, never happened. It was on a mountain that God showed Abraham all the lands of Canaan that they would inherit as a people. It was on a mountain that Moses encountered God for the first time and then what happened? He received the Ten Commandments. And it was on the same mountain that God revealed himself to Moses as well. It was on a mountain that Elijah overcame the prophets of Baal and recorded a great victory. And, of course, Jerusalem was uh, founded on what's called Mount Zion. Mount Zion. So it's not by chance, I believe, that Jesus took his disciples up to that mountain. It's a significant moment in the disciples' apprenticeship and learning, I believe. Here it's like Jesus was saying to his disciples, Hey, guys, you ain't seen nothing yet. Come with me and I'm going to show you something special. Yeah, something special. Now I wonder what was going through the minds of the disciples at this stage. This mountaintop experience gave them a glimpse into the holy. A glimpse of heaven. A glimpse of who God is. There are times in our Christian lives where we can have some of these special moments, aren't there? Where the Lord shows up and shows us or talks to us about something special. Some people call them mountaintop experiences. Yeah? yeah. Have you had some of those in your life? Yeah. yeah. And we might catch a glimpse of heaven. We might hear something special that God is saying to us. Where we really catch a glimpse of the heart of God, a special spirit revelation, something special. We have these moments in our spiritual lives, don't we? But, you know, we don't stay on that mountaintop just like the disciples did. What happened to the disciples? They went down to the to, um, uh, off the mountain and um, after he, Jesus had shown his glory to, to them, he took them back down off the mountain and told them, Something further, which we'll look at a bit later on. The same with us. We don't stay there at the top of the mountain. We need to come back down and go through the valley. And that's often where the growth takes place the most. It's great to spend time with the Lord on that spiritual mountaintop. But we need to keep growing. To not look back and rely on that same experience and same mountaintop experience. The top of the mountain is a great place for a view, isn't it? Anyone here mountain climbers? Climbed a mountain at all? No? Okay. (laughs) But some of you, I'm sure, have been up on a bit of a mountain and you can see the view and you can see all around you. You can see where you've come and where you might want to go. The same in our own spiritual lives. They're important moments for us. But in order to do that, we come off the mountain. Go through the valley so we can reach the next mountain. The second thing we see in verses 2 to 3. And there he was. Who's he? Jesus. Transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white. Whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Here, the word that is used for transfigured is metamorpho. So, that again, it's (laughs) metamorpho. That's how you pronounce it. And does that sound familiar to us? Yep, it's where we get the word metamorphosis from, isn't it? Meta meaning change, and morphe or morph meaning body or form. So, it's a change of form here. Jesus was changed. Reminds me of the time when I was growing up as a little tyke, a little guy, and um, I had, uh, and I still have, a fascination for frogs and caterpillars, okay? And much to my mum's horror, what I would do is I would go and get some tadpoles and sneak them up to my room because I love to watch them transform into that, what I see as a beautiful frog, (laughs) and get caterpillars and feed them and see them grow into that uh, uh, and and develop that pupa or that chrysalis and then emerge and I had the opportunity of seeing one butterfly actually come out of its chrysalis, spread its wings and yeah, what a fantastic change that was. Metamorphosis. It means a radical change. A radical change. And this word is used only four times, believe it or not, in the New Testament. It's here in Mark. It's in Matthew. But it, and it describes a radical transformation. The Apostle Paul was, as we probably know, was a huge, big persecutor of the Jews and of the church. But on that one day, on that road to Damascus, the Spirit of God came in a powerful way and completely transformed this guy. This guy who was a Jew hater, who persecuted Jews and he became an apostle for the Lord Jesus Christ. From shouting out murderous insults and threats to an agent of God's grace that helped change the lives of many, many people. What a transformation. That's radical. That's radical. In Romans... 13.2, 13.2, it says, that as believers, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's the same word here. Radical transformation. And we don't have time to, to be uh, dwelling on this today, but it's about renewing our minds and allowing God's spirit to change our minds and our thoughts. It's radical transformation. Now, this is exciting. Because there's three facets to this transformation here. As a Christian, when we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as our saviour, we have been transformed. That's in the past. Then we are continually transformed. That's in the present. We are being transformed. Then there's also a strong sense in which we will be transformed. That's future. I'll find that exciting. Past, present and future, God is at work transforming our lives. We have been transformed. 2 Corinthians 5.17, a passage that I'm sure is very familiar with you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Hello, the new's here. Yeah. Transformation, radical transformation. Are you a new creation? Yeah. Then we are being transformed, 2 Corinthians 3, 18 tells us. And we are all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Isn't that great? Which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. God is transforming us to be more like Jesus, to be more like Jesus, to become more Christ-like. And his spirit is the agent who does that. Again, we could spend a lot more time on that. So I want you to capture this aspect of transformation. And then there's a third one. And it was included in some of the words we sang in a couple of songs. We will be transformed. Philippians 3, 20 to 21. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies. Hello? <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So that w- they will be like his glorious body. On. And 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty to 54. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the perishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. And we will be changed. There's that transformation again. Will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality then the saying that is written will come true death has been swallowed up in victory. <sighs> <Whew. laughs> now I've right, reached the young age of 60 um I'm starting to realise a bit more about my own mortality. And I've also been having people reminding me, hey Paul, you're not, they say, you're not getting old, you are old. <laughs> but when I look in the mirror, I still see a young man. I still see a young man. But my body reminds me that my body is perishable. It groans more. It aches more. It's a bit slower than what it used to be. Yet yeah, some of you are nodding your heads. You can relate to that? Yeah. And the things that I want to do, I can't always do as much as what I used to. But one day, my body is going to be transformed. Amen. Come on. The old, frail, imperfect body will change... I wonder what that will look like. Wow. Transform. God is in the business of transformation and transforming our lives. Say with me that word. Transform. Transform. Okay, all together. Ready? One, two, three. Transform. That's what God is doing at work. And then I like what Mark says here. Now, I'm not sure whether he had a bad experience at the cleaners, But um, with his washing. But he says here, his clothes, this is Jesus' clothes, became dazzling. I shouldn't have said that because now you'll focus on that bit. I want you to focus on the dazzling. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Another translation says, his garments became radiant, exceeding white as no launderer on earth could whiten them. Now this is white. This is white, white. This is dazzling white. This is blazing white. It's glittering white. Reminds me of some of the old ads years ago about laundry detergent. And I can't remember which one it was. It says it makes your clothes whiter than white. I can't remember which one that is. But what does whiter than white look like with our clothes? Well, with Jesus, it was whiter than white, now, remember, these men are Jewish men. And they know that God has appeared in the Old Testament. He appeared and revealed himself in visible form. And it was always some kind of light or a cloud or a light in the cloud or a fire. And it's what, sometimes what we refer to as the Shekinah glory. Have you heard of the Shekinah glory of God? Yeah. The Shekinah glory of God is God's abiding presence. His abiding presence where he actually lives. And it's at the heart of the temple. His abiding presence. Although God is what we call omnipresent, which means he's everywhere, he lives, or sorry, used to live in the temple, or part of him was in the temple. The physical manifestation of God has come to be called the Shekinah glory where his majestic presence took form and dwelt there. The invisible God becoming visible. And whenever we talk about the omnipresence being localised, it's the Shekinah glory of God. Now, I don't know about you, but this really blows my mind. At the initiation of priestly services uh, in in Leviticus chapter 9, God appeared in, guess what? Light. God appears to light to Moses. In the tabernacle, when it was completed and the Shekinah of glory appeared, what did it appear as? Guess what? In as light. When the children of Israel rebelled against God, God turned up and appeared in, guess what? Light. When the temple was completed, God descended there and appeared as light. So you get the idea, eh? Every one of those was an appearance of God as light. God somehow, I kind of, the first word came to me was reducing his his appearance or he's reducing his nature rather, but that 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 undersells it somehow god would allow him part of his nature to be contained as visible light unearthly supernatural glorious majestic magnificent let me tell you that no ray ban sunglasses would do the job because it's so beautiful and fantastic You might remember or know that in Exodus chapter 33, I think it is, when God said, No man can see my my face and live, said to Moses. So he said, Okay then, I'll show up and I'll show you my back parts. Because my front parts, if you look at my face, you can't live. Good old Moses, he said, well, if you don't show me your glory, I'm not going to lead your people. But God said, I'll show you my back parts. And then he tucked him into a rock and he caught a small glimpse of the glory of God on that occasion. Now, as we come back to Mark chapter 9, and then Elijah and Moses appeared talking with Jesus. Why Elijah and Moses, you might ask? Come on, ask it. Why Elijah and Moses? Well thank you, yeah. Well, there are no there was no lawgiver like Moses, and there was no prophet like Elijah. Moses the law, Elijah the prophet. And here we see two of the most trustworthy eyewitnesses that perhaps the disciples could, could actually ever see. And here the disciples are talking with Jesus. And it implies, I believe, his divine superiority. This could suggest that Jesus fulfills the law and he also fulfills um, the prophets, I guess, as well. The bringing the two together. See, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of transformation, where God wants to transform our lives. Yeah. Let's look at verse 5. Don't put God in a box. Peter said to to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. They were so frightened. Now, um, the word for shelter is the same as tabernacle or tent. So Peter's plan here is, hey, let's... Let's bypass all this other stuff. Let's jump straight to the kingdom. We've got the whole gang here. We've got Moses, we've got Elijah, and we've got Jesus. Let's just bring it all together here. Let's have the kingdom right here and now. But no, that wasn't meant to happen. Maybe um, Peter hadn't quite understood the fact that God... Resided in Jesus as what what John chapter 1 verse 14 says and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us that phrase dwelling among us us, literally means tabernacled or tented among us now this is interesting because get this the timing of this event is in the month of what's called Tishri Tishri Six months after that, Jesus was to die. And it's in the month of Tishri, is a special happening in the time of of Jerusalem that was going on right then. You know what it was? It was called the Feast of the Tabernacles. Well, that's interesting. Well, I find it interesting anyway. Who would have thought? What did the tabernacle commemorate? It commemorated the exodus from Egypt. What perfect timing! So maybe Peter thought, this is, this is a time when we should commemorate the great exodus and we should have this right now. Let's do it. But we can't put God in a box, can we? We can't put God in a box. We can't put a limit on him and his power, on his presence. He can't be contained because God is all-powerful. His glory, his power, his workings, his movings, has no boundaries or limits. Yeah. We can't package God. We can't download him or buy a 100 gigs of God. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But sometimes maybe do you think we might do this? Yeah. We might try to um, limit God. Hey, I know. How about we write a program and develop a system about growing a church? And we package it and we market it and we sell it to other churches so that they could experience and benefit the same thing. Do you think that would be a good idea? Just because we sing the same songs, preach the same words, say the same words, run the same programs, doesn't automatically mean that we're going to reproduce God's working and God's moving in the same way in a different group of people or church. What's that we've heard already in Mark? Something about putting new wine in old wineskins? Hey, let's not limit the power of God. Let's not put him in a box. One of my favourite verses is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ. Great passage. Wow. But let's go back to Mark chapter 8. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Guess who's just shown up again in a cloud? It's God. But God the Father. Okay? What does this remind us of? Well, at Jesus' baptism... We read in Matthew chapter 3, The heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Instead of giving the law and the instructions for the tabernacle, here God says, Listen to my son Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of transformation where God wants to transform our lives. And My fourth point today is we are living testimonies of who Jesus is. Let's be a witness. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. Now, I think that would have been particularly hard for the disciples coming down the mountain at that moment, because they would naturally have wanted to tell people what they saw. But Jesus said, no, don't tell anyone about it until I'm gone. Why not? I believe it's because the gospel was not complete. Jesus' transfigured glory can only be understood in the light of the suffering, death and resurrection. Jesus' transfigured glory can only be understood in the light of his suffering, death and his resurrection. Thankfully, when we have a mountaintop experience, we can tell people about it, can't we? Because we live this side of the cross and the Spirit. And we are living testimonies to who Jesus is. That's a very sobering thought, isn't it? Do people see Jesus in us? Many, many years ago, I used to play competitive table tennis. And um, I played against this lady... She was pretty good. Um, And at the very end of the game, we shook hands like you usually do. And she just said to me, "Um, great game. You're a Christian, aren't you? Now, I never met this lady before. I never met her. And she said, you're a Christian, aren't you? And I said, whoa, um, yeah, I am. How can you tell? And she said, I just could. I just could. And I thought... Was I playing table tennis in a holy way? <laughs> Was I smashing shots and doing it in a godly fashion? Look, I, I, I don't know. But she saw Jesus in me. Now, I'm no, more, no special than any, or different than anyone else here today. But there are times when people can and should see Jesus in us. 2 Corinthians 4 6 says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. I love that. To give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Somehow, Jesus will shine through our hearts. Let's live in such a way that that'll happen. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of transformation where God wants to transform our lives. become more like Jesus and then my last point as we wrap up one day we will see the glory his glory in all his fullness and splendor let's look forward now we have been hearing way too much bad news lately of doom and gloom you know global warming we're going to fry in the increased heat The bushfires and floods over east, which of course was horrific for those people who experienced it. And now it's the doom and gloom of the coronavirus and the way it's affecting our economies and starting to impinge our daily lives. And of course now it's the shortage of toilet paper. But this is great. Here is good news, is fantastic news, that one day we will see the full glory and splendour of the Lord in all its greatness. And we will be eternally in His presence. That is something to look forward to. And the closer you get in years, like me, the more that's such a fantastic thought. 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we will be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. We shall see him as he is. And in Revelation, chapter 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone from the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a precious jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. And then a bit further it says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the king of, of the earth, kings of the earth will bring their splendour into it. Again, that's God's Shekinah glory. God's Shekinah glory. Some people keep going on about climate change. But what we need is a heart change. What our world, I believe, desperately needs is not reformation or new legislation. It's transformation. Not reformed, rehabilitated people with different attitudes, although that might be nice. But transformed lives, transform hearts with changed hearts, spirits and attitudes. The people who have had their lives turned around, whose chains have been broken by the power of God, whose hearts, broken hearts have been mended, families brought together. People's lives radically changed, radically changed. As we reflect upon this passage today, are we relying on some previous mountaintop experience? Are we allowing ourselves to be transformed by God's power? Are we becoming more like Jesus? In what areas of our lives do we need to ask him to change us? Maybe we can be agents of transformation for other people's lives in a hurting world. In a few moments, we're going to stand to sing our final song. And if the Lord is really speaking to you today, and you feel like there's something there that you need the Lord to ask the Lord to change, to transform, we invite you to come to the front of our meeting today. We've got people who will come and pray with you and share with you. Because the power of God is here in this place today, and He wants to transform and continue to transform our lives. Is your life in need of a radical transformation? Maybe you've never come to know Jesus. Today is that time. We need to give your life to Him and experience that, you being a new creation in Him. Do you need a breakthrough? The kingdom of God is a kingdom of transformation where He wants to transform us, To become more like Jesus, demonstrating his power in and through us.